The following show is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Welcome to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This is our monthly coaching call. This is Frank Congelos, your host, and our guest today is Michael Canarek, attorney at law and managing partner at Canarek and Canarek. Michael, welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thanks, Frank. Thanks for having me. So, Mike, I know that your area of expertise is estate planning, tax planning, and you work with individuals, and I know you do a lot of work with business owners and professionals. And with that in mind, you know, what I've noticed over time when you and I have talked to clients and met with people is a lot of people are a little bit surprised at, we'll call it inheritance taxes, estate taxes, as it relates to state and federal. So I thought what we would do today is maybe just have a little bit of a conversation and talk a little bit about, you know, what's the estate tax, both on a federal side, what is it on a state side, and should people really be concerned with it? Because, you know, when some people hear the numbers, they go, oh, boy, this doesn't pertain to me, or it does pertain to me. So I thought we'd really start from there. So maybe, Mike, just talk a little bit about what is the estate tax and maybe even mention a little bit about the fact that there is a gift tax and how that works together. And we'll sure. give people an overview. Okay, sure. Uh, on, on the federal side, the, uh, the, the there, I don't want to say always has been, but for many, many years has been what we call an unlimited marital deduction, which allows spouses to pass assets to each other free of tax. So generally speaking, and there's exceptions to the rule, uh, generally speaking, with, with the death of a first spouse, when everything passes to the surviving spouse, there's not going to be uh, any estate tax. However, at the second death, um, when assets would pass to the children, that's when the possibility of an estate tax kicks in, although the current federal exemption uh, amount uh, allows an individual to leave up to $5.45 million to their children uh, free of tax. and. As of a few years ago, the federal tax law uh, instituted what we call portability, which if, a, if an estate tax return was filed at the first death, uh, the, the surviving spouse can elect to carry the unused exemption of the first spouse to die. So uh, as it stands now, you know, there's the possibility that the surviving spouse would actually have double the exemption or $10.9 million exemption uh, to leave to the children free of a state tax. That, that's the current law as it and, stands and, today. And that's a big number. I, I would say that 99% of the population are falling underneath that number. Yeah, that, that's obviously a very significant number these days. I, you know, I, I will say that um, you know, since I've been practicing law, which is about 15 years now, the federal exemption has been six hundred seventy-five thousand, a million, a million and a half, two million, three and a half million. It was unlimited for a year. It was scheduled to be reduced to a million, but it was increased to five million, and it's been stable now for several years at five million. The, the five point four five is just the result of an inflation adjustment that's built in. However, um, you know, when thinking about the estate tax, which wouldn't be generally due again until the death of the second spouse to die, many of our clients are looking, you know. 40 years out, 50 years out, what will the law be at that time? You know, that's anybody's guess. I highly doubt it's going to be what it is today. That's a great point. And so, you know, in just kind of sticking with that, which is, you know, who knows what the law is going to be at the time it happens. And we've heard of all the changes that we've had over the years. And in light of the fact that, you know, as a country, you know, 
we're looking for tax revenue. You know, we have a fairly significant deficit, you know, and so when we look, we go, well, where are we going to, you know, get tax money from? And this one is always coming up on the radar. So I, I think the point is, is that we really have to kind of look and be aware of it. And then the other side of that is, Michael, maybe just take a moment and explain to people what's actually included in their estate, because sometimes someone's estate may be significantly larger than they think. That's right. Um, many times, almost all the time, my clients are surprised when I tell them what the size of their estate is for tax purposes. So included in the size of the estate is pretty much everything that's going to pass at the time of death. Uh, that would include, um, obviously, your liquid assets in your bank accounts and your investments, and that's what most people have in their mind is what the value of their estate is. But it also includes the value of uh, your real estate. It includes the value of your, your retirement accounts. It includes the death benefit of your life insurance policies. Uh, it includes the value of any business interest that you might own. So I'm going to stop you there, Mike, because you said something um, that I think a lot of people sometimes don't realize because, you know, if I did my financial statement today, my financial statement might read X, Y, and Z wherever I'm at. But all of a sudden, there's one dramatic difference when I file an estate tax return, which lists all the same assets, but there's one other key asset that could jump up on there significantly higher, which is you just mentioned life insurance, and it's the life insurance face amount, not the life insurance cash value or equity value in it. That's correct. It's the face amount. So if you if you have a two million dollar life insurance policy on your life and you die, that two million dollars is included in your taxable estate, and that can you know bring it up quite a bit. That's right. And so it's interesting, Mike, because you and I both live here in New Jersey. A lot of our clients are here in the Northeast. Would you know a heavy presence in New Jersey? One of the things I'd like you to maybe address is the fact that New Jersey doesn't go along with the federal exemptions. Yeah, that, that's correct. So uh, in New Jersey, we actually have the lowest exemption in the country. Uh, at so we're only, first at something. Yes, that's right, at <laughs> only $675,000. Um, New Jersey does still have the unlimited marital deduction like the federal uh, estate tax law does. So at the first death, if assets are passing to the surviving spouse, generally there was not going to be a tax. However, at the second death, uh, if, if more than 675000 passes to the children, a New Jersey estate tax um, would be incurred. And New Jersey does not have the same rules that the federal government does as far as portability goes. So it's the surviving spouse doesn't get 675000 times two. They just get 675000 if the first spouse never used their exemption because they left everything to the surviving spouse and didn't need to use their exemption, it's lost. You, you don't get both. That's a great point. And so, Mike, the, the reason why I like you to you know, just spend a, a couple of extra minutes on it is it's not a cheap tax either. I mean, you know, what, no, well, how high up does the tax rate actually uh, go? No, for, for federal state tax purposes, the, 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 the rate on, uh, on any assets above the exemption amount is 40% right now. And, and again, I'll, I'll make the same comment there as I did with the exemption. I, in my years of practicing, I've seen it as low as 35, I've seen it as high as 55, and I've seen it be several things in between. And it really doesn't matter what it is today. It matters what it is at the time of someone's death, and who knows what that's going to be. It's a great point. Uh, in New Jersey, uh, the rates are quite a bit lower than the federal rates. The, the top tax rate in New Jersey is 16%. Um, that's on estates in excess of $10 million, so it's most likely going to be uh, a little bit lower than that. I, you know, When I talk to clients about what the rate is, uh, I'll usually just use a 10% as a, as a basic guesstimate of around what the tax will be, although it, it just really depends on the size of the estate. 
but again, it includes everything, including life insurance, so it is something to plan for. Sure. So, Mike, with that in mind, uh, one of the things I'd like you to maybe address is a uh, couple things. Uh, one is how assets actually pass, you yep. know, because, you know, some people I've seen, they do a terrific will, and then their other planning doesn't coordinate with the will, you know, as far as beneficiary arrangements, things of that nature. So maybe just take a little bit on that, and then we'll talk about what could people do to plan for that, uh, the actual taxes, or what should they be doing at this point. Sure. Um, so a- assets pass in, in one of a few different ways, okay? So certain assets will pass pursuant to the will. So like you said, they have a really well-thought-out will, and it's all written down properly, and the assets that pass pursuant to the will will, will pass in that manner. Um, those are what we call probate assets. But uh, there's also non-probate assets, assets that don't pass pursuant to a will, uh, things like jointly held assets, okay? So any jointly held assets uh, with rights of survivorship will automatically pass to the surviving joint tenant. So if I own a piece of property with my brother as joint tenants with rights of survivorship and my will says all my assets go to my kids, that piece of property that I own with my brother with joint tenants is going to go to my brother because that's what the law is. It doesn't matter that my will says all my assets go to my kids. Uh, In addition to jointly held assets, uh, there's several assets that pass pursuant to beneficiary designations, the big ones uh, always being life insurance and retirement accounts. So again, I might um, might have said one thing on my beneficiary designation and another thing in my will, and it's my beneficiary designation that's going to trump the will in this case. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll meet with people that maybe filled out some paperwork with their job prior to being married and they have, you know, their parents or their siblings named as beneficiaries and, you know, I always want to make sure that gets cleaned up. Great point. So, Mike, with regard to kind of planning for the tax, okay, or planning around the tax, maybe you can give some highlights as to what should people be conscious of at this point or give thought to as it relates to maybe preparing their documents or even updating some of their documents? Yeah, I mean, g- generally speaking, um, when you have uh, a net worth, I would say, you know, under $10 million at this point, right? If it's over $10 million, then we should probably have a discussion about doing a little bit more advanced planning. But at this point, if the estate's under $10 million, um, you know, it's sort of, again, hard to project you know, whether you need tax planning because of the way the law is now or whether you don't need it, um, what, will, what will the law be at the time of your death, what will your assets be at the time of your death, you know, does New Jersey still have the same law, do you even live in New Jersey? So there's a lot of, like, what-ifs out there. Um, so 99% of the time in these situations, I prefer to draft documents flexibly from a tax perspective. And what I mean by that is if you intend to leave all the assets uh, directly to your spouse, that's fine, um, but with the possibility that at the second death having all those assets in the spouse's name creates an estate tax, I want a mechanism that allows for the surviving spouse to be able to say, no, I don't want to receive all of these assets right now at, at the time of the first death because based on whatever the asset situation is at that time and based on the federal tax law at the time and based on the state tax law at that time, it doesn't make sense from a tax perspective for the survivor to keep all the assets in his or her name. I want a mechanism built in there that allows the survivor to say, no, I don't want all these assets that I'm about to inherit from from my spouse. And instead, I want those assets to pass to a trust for my benefit 
and that trust would be available to the surviving spouse, so they wouldn't give up the ability to get to those assets. However, to the extent that they didn't use those assets during their lifetime, um, instead of being included in their estate later on at, the, at their death, uh, the assets would be excluded from the estate of the surviving spouse, and, and therefore the ultimate tax bill could be substantially lower. So the way that I just heard that is, is that if you did a, a, a well-drafted document, um, the surviving spouse has the flexibility of determining should I take the assets outright, and if I don't, it could go into a trust for my benefit, providing me with health or income for my health and well-being and whatever I need, but whatever's still left in there, when something happens to me, is not going to be taxed in the estate. So effectively, you know, it's like going around the Monopoly board. I got my two hundred dollars, you know, by pass and go. I got it tax free, and you know, it stayed out of the estate. So you kind of got your cake and ate it too. That, that's exactly right, and we call that uh, disclaimer planning. Very good. So, Mike, what you know, if somebody was doing it and just kind of wrapping up our session for today. Besides the wills, normally I, I hear the term, you know, there's a package that, you know, is done by attorneys. What are the typical documents that are being done in addition to these wills or disclaimer wills? Yeah. And, and, and again, in the general standard package that I'll do with clients would be wills, um, powers of attorney. Okay. Power of attorney is a document that allows you to appoint somebody to act on your behalf if you're unable to manage your own affairs. All right. This is mostly for legal or financial decisions. And then the uh, third document would be a, a living will and an appointment of a health care proxy. A living will is a document where you express your desire generally not to be kept alive artificially in the event you have no hope of recovery. And in the document, you can also appoint uh, family members or friends or whoever you choose to make medical decisions for you if you're unable to make them on your own. Uh, and finally, what I like to do with clients, again, is to review their beneficiary designations I made the point earlier of, you know, maybe somebody has the, the wrong beneficiary listed and it's not part of the plan. Um, more likely what would happen is that maybe they went through the process of putting the will together to include disclaimer trust planning for the tax purposes or set up trust for their children within a will so that the children didn't inherit assets outright. But on the beneficiary designation for their life insurance policy, they simply listed their spouse and their children. That's inconsistent now with the will, which had a bunch of trust planning in it. So I'd want to update that beneficiary designation to also include the trust planning. So we look at that as well. That's great points. So for all of our listeners today, you've been listening to Michael Canarek, managing partner at Canarek and Canarek, and this has been Frank Angelos. Um, in one of our upcoming sessions, Michael, I think that what would be beneficial for our listeners is perhaps talking about, you know, how to perhaps control and manage assets for the benefits of others. And the yep. reason being is, is, you know, tax is one thing, but at the end of the day, it's more about control and it's about making sure that our, you know, intent is really followed out. So that'll be in one of our upcoming shows. So for all of our listeners, uh, we thank for being with us. Michael, thank for being with us today. And we wish everybody a great day. You've been listening to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This has been a production of the Institute of Responsible Wealth, and we look forward to being with you next month. Advisors of the Institute of Responsible Wealth may be licensed for investment and insurance products. The Institute of Responsible Wealth is an educational division of CNA Financial Group. CNA Financial Group and its advisors are an agency or an agent of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. 
Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. The Institute of Responsible Wealth and CNA Financial Group are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian.